biggest impact is, I think, the manager. Everybody likes him. He buzzes around this place in his high socks. You know, I understand what's going on around here and, you know, the odds of, of me making a team. We've got a man watching the balls for us over there. We're not, he's not going to let us get killed. Welcome to another special off-season episode of Digging In with Jay and Sebia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. If you're listening at home, that's probably for the best because you don't have to be jealous of this beautiful sunlight we've got here in Dunedin. On this show, we're going to have Bo Bichette on, the guy who's number two for the Blue Jays, but number one for literally pretty much anyone else. Incredible prospect who, you know, we could be seeing in 2019. Yeah, I think anybody who uh, is behind Vladimir, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is, uh, it would be a number one anywhere else as well. I mean, when you're behind the best player in baseball, pretty much, uh, it's tough to be that, crack that number one spot. But when you talk about Obviously, bloodlines is something that's pretty special. You have a lot of bloodlines in this organization. Talent, guy that can play shortstop a premium position and hit the way he can hit. And at the age that he's been able to do that, so there's a lot of you know, reasons to be excited about uh, you know, Bo Bichette. And obviously, I'm excited to kind of get to know him a little bit more. So this is kind of our off-season in review episode. So I'm going to give it to you, JP, first. We're going to do moves you liked and moves you didn't like for the Blue Jays, one of each. It's a little bit tough, to be honest, because they made a lot of kind of similar type of deals. The one year, let's take a flyer on a guy deal. But which one stuck out to you as something that, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a guy I could see making an impact. Well, honestly, I, it, the biggest impact to me, and it's, it's not a cliche, is I think the manager. Uh, and then obviously he's not a player, but I think what they were able to do with Charlie Montoyo uh, and, and hire a guy who is going to make everybody around him better from day one. Uh, you have a bilingual manager who also is going to be able to get to that, that Hispanic uh, part of the team, which is actually a big, it's something that goes underrated in baseball, and it's actually a really, really big ordeal. And, and even the supporting staff, I think they did a phenomenal job with being able to have the supporting staff that they were able to, to put together, where you have a Matt Bushman who's a young uh, coach, you have a Guillermo Martinez, a young hitting, hitting coach, uh, Shelly Duncan. You have, a, you have a great supporting cast of young guys, which I think is going to help these young players develop. So now that's for me the biggest move, which is not the best thing to speak about. Obviously, it's the coaching staff. I do like David Phelps. I think he's, he's a guy who, when he is healthy, you can have a really, really dominant guy in the back end of that, that bullpen. And obviously, Ken Giles already has proven himself to be uh, the Ken Giles uh, that everybody knows him to be. He did really, really good in Toronto, was dominating. I think David Phelps can slot in there and be that eight-inning guy, which as the team continues to move forward, you need guys like that to win ball games, and then also could become a trade chip at some point where they can get some more prospects. Yeah, and that's a lot of the players they've brought on. They brought on players on one-year deals, and it's sort of, if you pitch well, we're gonna move you for more prospects. That's kind of the way it is for these guys. I think you made a good point. You know, In an off-season where they didn't make a big splash, revamping the whole coaching staff is arguably the biggest impact they're gonna have. And Montoyo, friend of the program, we had him on a couple episodes ago. Uh, and he's, I think it's just so clear how much respect everyone has for him. Everybody likes him. He buzzes around this place in his high socks and he just kind of has an aura to him. And in a very different way to Gibby, but it does remind me of Gibby where it just, everyone has a smile on their face when they're around this guy. Well, and, and listen, Gibby, obviously we love Gibby. Everybody loves Gibby. He's a player's guy. Right? And I think so is Charlie, but it's a different dynamic. And another thing that I think was a very underrated move is John Schneider. John Schneider has been the manager for these guys in AA and all these prospects coming up. They've been able to win championships at the AA level and they continue to win throughout the minor leagues. 
They won with him in Vancouver. They've won with him in multiple spots in the minor leagues. Now he's in the big leagues where all these guys are going to be coming up and they're going to be have a, it's, it's always nice to have a familiar face when you get to the major leagues. Major leagues are, it's a tough, right? You're, you're having to win now. You're having to do your things now. And as I'm sure we'll see, we'll have some balls around here, which is fun because that's why we're in spring training. We've, got, we've, got, a, we've got a man watching the balls for us over there. We're not, he's not going to let us get killed, hopefully. Uh, you know, maybe some broken bones. We'll see what happens. I think that for me, the, the move that stood out was, and I'm going to put a condition on this, it's if he breaks the team. Elvis Luciano is really a creative way to roster build. You don't have a ton, beyond Nate Pearson maybe, a ton of pitching prospects you think can be that top end guy. So you get a guy on the Rule 5 who's really young. 19. You, 19 years old. You potentially stash him for the whole year, have him pitch not very much, and then you develop him in the years to come. And you know, that's not a thing that a team that's trying to win can do, but a team that's in that rebuilding phase is kind of like a workaround to snag a talent you wouldn't otherwise get. We'll see if that's how it plays out, but if it does, that's, again, it, you, you're using the rules to your advantage to creatively acquire a player you wouldn't normally be able to get. And, if, and, and I agree with you, and I think that's a huge, the rule five, I mean, George Bell was a Rule 5 guy, right? There's a lot of Rule 5 guys that can pan out to be some very special players. There's a ton of them. I actually looked at the list the other day. There's a lot of all-star caliber players Jose that are Rule, another Rule 5, 5 guy. So at the end of the day, Rule 5s can pan out and be some great things. If I do have to have a little bit harp on a negative uh, spot, I think that I think they could have put a veteran on the team. I think you look at what the Miami Marlins did, right? Go out and get Curtis Granderson. His role... He's going to make that team. He's a non-roster invitee. He's a minor league sign. He's going to make that team. And the reason why he's going to make that team is because he's going to be the example for all the young guys coming up. And I think that's a big part of this game. You have to have maybe somebody in there. You know, you have Axford, who's a, is a non-roster invitee, could make the team and, and be a part of that. But you need to have that experience for these young guys to come up just to have that in the clubhouse kind of guy because although the staff is a phenomenal staff and they've put together a, a culture that's going to be great, I still think... There's somebody in that clubhouse that has to be that guy. And I don't know right now if everybody in there, if there's anybody that's that quote unquote veteran presence that can teach those young guys that. Yeah, I think the exception might be Kendris Morales for the Hispanic players. He's a guy who I think they want him to interact with Vlad as much as humanly possible. And him and Guriel have that connection, but you're right. On the other side, you're looking at guys like Justin Smoke, who's more of a go-about-his-business type of dude. And then you've got Kevin Pillar, too, and he's actually made some interesting comments this offseason about how he wants to take a leadership stake in this team, and maybe that is a guy that some of the position players rally around. Yeah, no, and it's, listen, but I also think it's unfair to Kevin Pillar to be able to think, this guy's trying to get ready for free agency. He's trying to continue to prove himself on that career. He's not on a long-term deal, right? And that's, that's also something, so it's easy to be a leader or it's harder to be a leader when, when you don't have that. Because if I know that I'm here for the next however many years and I'm, and I'm not worried about that aspect, then it's a lot easier to do that role for a team. He's still having to take care of Kevin Pillar himself right now. And that's something where I think, again, he's a great guy, A+, plus, which the way he goes about his business, he's gonna take care of guys. But I still think it's tough to say, you know, you're gonna be 
that kind of guy at this point in his career because he's still looking to, to have some kind of security for the rest of his career. Yeah, there's no guy on this team with the exception of Vlad Bo, who we know is gonna be here four years from now, five years from now. No one who can really put down roots except for the young guys. And we can include guys like Baraki in there. We can include Danny Jansen in there, guys who are gonna be around. But there's, like you said, there's no Kevin, a guy of Kevin Pillar's age and experience, but we know they're gonna be here until the 2022, 2023. And they can say, they can think of it as this is my clubhouse. Exactly, you're gonna, you, you pour into the team a little bit differently. And I know, you know, Kevin Pillar is, a, again, he's an A-plus human being, so he's gonna help as much as possible. But the reality is it's not easy to just go, I I'm, I'm, could be gone next year, I could be gone later this year, and to really fully be entrenched as opposed to like somebody who either A is at the end of their career and that's their sole purpose, like a Mark DeRosa was when he came in to help Brett Laurie or a Granderson is doing right now. Those guys understand those roles. Right now, Kevin Pillar is a guy who's gonna continue to play this game for a long time and we don't know where it's gonna be. The one move for me that was a little bit eyebrow raising, again, we talked about before, a lot of low risk moves that could pan out, talent was Clayton Richard. I just have a hard time imagining him in the AL East parks. Get like He struggled a little bit in San Diego. There's been some injuries there too, to be fair to him. But they've got so many young starters kind of on the brink that behind Sanchez, Stroman, for me, Baraki, I'd like to see them try, and Shoemaker, of course, try, you know, Sean Reed Foley to start the year, try Thornton to start the year. They've got a lot of guys in Julian Merriweather when he gets healthy. A lot of guys on the brink there, and for me, I'm not sure if I'm going to use one rotation spot. And they said that he has the job for a veteran like that who I don't see you getting a lot of value for the deadline potentially more of an innings eater or shoemaker if we bounce back you could trade some get something in a trade for him that was the one move where I thought eh, I might turn it over to more younger guys yeah but then that that you have to always look into the development when things are when decisions like that are made and I think that was a, a, a development you know decision because you have guys are going to have to go back to AAA and continue to, to grow and I know you want to grow in the big leagues but there's a lot of things that you can work on and get right in AAA. I actually am not as much of a problem I don't have as much of a problem with that move I think that that he'll be good also he's a phenomenal guy in the clubhouse so another another guy who will be able to help around uh, you know with the different the pitching staff and different players who has been around for a long time um, and I do think, I think if you, if you have a serviceable starter in the AL East and he can go out there and, and have a good year, he's a guy who can go and, and get you some, some prospects at the, at the deadline. It's kind of crazy because you, you look at everybody as a, as a pawn, which essentially that's what it is for this team right now. But the good part is, is as you've got this, you start to see the young guys come through, there is a big wave of guys that are going to be around for a long time. And we've seen teams have success. You've seen the Yankees who turned it around quick with that kind of same build out. Seen the Braves, look at the Braves. All they're, they're, It looks like everybody's 22, 23 on that team, 20, and they're starting to win. So I think that that's something that can happen a lot quicker than people think. We're now joined by Bo Bichette, one of the top prospects in baseball, a huge part of the Blue Jays' future, and a guy who, we said it before, a little bit unfair that Vladdy's there because uh, he'd probably get more shine anywhere else, but maybe it's fun to be in the shade a little bit as well. Yeah, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a fun time, but at the end of the day, a lot of players, we don't look into the prospect numbers and we're just used to playing and going out there and doing our thing. Yeah, so we're here at uh, Dunedin Spring Training. Bo, we talked to Charlie earlier and one thing that he said he really liked about you is that you had a conversation and you were just straight up with him like, 
I'm here to compete for a job, like not listening to what people are projecting, like here's my thing, I'm gonna control what I control and I can just come and do it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I understand what's going on around here and you know, the odds of, of me making a team, but there's no reason for me to come in here without, you know, with a different attitude than, you know, trying to make the team because I'm here to, you know, turn heads and make impressions. So that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. What's been the most exciting part for you? Like obviously, you know, you, minor league spring training, obviously big, spring, big league spring training is much better. As far as just even coming to the field, like talk about the things for you that you enjoy, because obviously the food is A+, the, you see the way the big league life is. Talk about those parts about the game that are obviously the, what happens on the field is kind of the same everywhere you go, but the, the other little things that are, that are different for you in big league camp. Yeah, well I've been around it a lot, so I kind of knew, you know, the big league life and all that, but for me what stands out is you're kind of, I feel like you're able to find yourself a little bit more here. You know, there's not as much coaching, there's more of a, more just help around, you know, so you're able to find who you are a little bit more, um, kind of go out and play free, have fun a little bit more, and you know, it's, it's been awesome. You talk about how you've been around that big league life. We know your dad is in the big leagues, your brother also a baseball player. You've got the guy with the wisdom from the highest level, and then your brother has that minor league and that grinder wisdom. Who do you go for? Do you go to for different guys for different problems, and how does that support system work? Um, I mean, I, I don't go to anybody for anything specific. Uh, they're all there for me when I need them. Um, you know, my, my dad last year, I needed his help, and he got on a flight the next day, you know, so um, same with my mom, same with my brother, whatever I need, you know, they're there for me. That's awesome. And, and again, I think why you're so good is, one, I think you have the opportunity to, you were around it as a kid, but also you're headstrong, and that's something that I think is, is very big for, for great players and which you're going to continue to be. For you, obviously, uh, your swing is, is different for what people would say, it's your own swing, and that's what I like, that you're confident in your own skin. Talk about how that's been as far as your development and stuff like that, because I'm sure, and I went through it, right? People are gonna try to make adjustments in this, but being confident enough in your mind that you know, like, for example, Kevin Euclid, people were gonna say that that didn't work, but that dude was able to go out there and rake and do whatever he, he wanted to do, and I feel like you're in that confidence and that mindset to be able to be that kind of guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, it doesn't really matter what happens before you're ready to hit. You know, it doesn't matter what your stance looks like, it doesn't matter about any of that. But um, I was fortunate enough that when I was signed, the Blue Jays, they said they weren't going to touch me. Um, I was also fortunate enough to get off to a good start. So I don't know, I don't know what would happen if I didn't. But, you know, I've been lucky to have the coaches around me that have just tried to help me be, you know, a better version of myself. On this show, we like to talk about guys' off-field interests. JP cannot stop talking about food. Like, any time we have someone on, it's like, what do you like to eat? Yeah, let him ask that we've question. We've got enough on the baseball stuff, I'll so we always have to throw. ask that question, but I do want to ask you, uh, we talked a little bit off camera about your New England Patriots fandom. Where does that come from as a guy who's not from that area? Are you just a bandwagon guy? Because I've been around those people and yeah. it's tough. Or is there something that hooked you with them? Um, well, my mom went to Boston College um, and my dad was playing for the Red Sox for about three years when I was kind of waking up to the world when I was two, three, and four. So Boston just kind of in my blood. So I, you know, I love, I love the Patriots. My family's Patriots fans. So you got lucky with the team. Yeah, that no, you got I got like I don't, I don't remember a quarterback other than Brady. So oh, you're right. You're living right. So that's what I'm saying. We we like to talk baseball and baseball's baseball, but obviously we want to get into the other stuff, right? And for me, like one question I always like to get to ask guys is, for you, if you had one day off and you wanted to do whatever Bo wanted to do, right? Like for me, I like to play golf. If I want to go and eat a pizza, like there's. 
What would you do for yourself that would be so people can kind of understand like, all right, what are your interests, what are your hobbies, what kind of food you like, that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I'm pretty chill, man. I, I would probably go get a get a big big towel and go chill on the beach. I, I go lay down on the beach, see what kind of tan I could get. Is that is you know that yeah? Well, especially no. in spring training, obviously the tan. And I always used to tell people you you don't have this problem. Tan fat looks better than, than white. Oh fat. no, it does. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I look. So you look a lot tan, better. Anything looks better. Yeah. What's a, what's a food for you? What what's the kind of food that you're into? Like if you either a cheat meal or what you're usually into? What kind of food do you like? Yeah. Um, Man, sushi. Yeah, sushi's my thing. Sushi's what roll? Um, it's called the sublime roll. Yeah, it's avocado and crab and, oh man. That's your go to? Yeah, something else. Crab, I crush crab, anything with crab. Yeah, yeah I love crab, so. Let me, let me <laughs> hop in one more. Gamer, are you, are you a gamer guy? I'm a gamer, what's yeah. Your, what's your game and what's your, uh, what's, who are your guys? Because now online, back when I used to play, it was like, well, what are you playing, what are you playing? Now everybody can hop online. So what's yeah. your game and do you game with guys online on the team? Yeah, um, the guy I game with the most on the team is Dwight Smith Jr. Um, in the off season, we were Fortnite every day, every day, man. Uh, and we, every once in a while, we'd hop on 2K against each other, um, Madden or something. But um, no, Dwight, Dwight's definitely my guy I play with online. We don't like to ask you to expose guys, but if you do, cool. If you need a win in 2K or some other game, who are you asking to play? In 2K? Man, probably Dwight. Yeah, Dwight can play, <laughs> Dwight can play 2K. Uh, Fortnite, I haven't played with everybody here, but I've heard um, Danny Jansen can play. I know he doesn't like Fortnite that much, but I've heard he's he's kind he's of a amazing reluctant, at it. reluctant yeah. beast at yeah. Fortnite. He's a computer guy, so. So we were talking with JP yesterday, who kind of toured the areas he used to live at and how his spring training life was. And in that era, like the guys were such a brotherhood, him, Travis Snyder, Casey Jansen, that type of era. And he was saying about how this new young generation that you guys have is really close. We saw it with Barucky and Jansen came up and they're best friends. Are you kind of excited for the idea of growing with a team of guys who like you've known all these guys for your whole baseball life? Yeah, well, I think what makes it better is the fact they're good guys. You know, um, it's tough being around people every single day for six months. And so if, if they have any sort of thing that annoys you, it's, it's tough to be around them. But they're a bunch of good guys. And, you know, I think we're all like super excited to be together in the big league at some point. If there's anything off the field, shoes, fashion, any of that stuff. Are you are you a fashion guy? Are you a tight clothes kind of guy? Or are you kind of like fitted? Because you know now the skinny jeans is a new thing. So I you got the good hair. Like where where you go? What's tell us about both? Because I think that's one of the biggest things. Everybody again. Everybody gets too far into baseball stuff. What's great is being able to know about you, the person, because that's what makes you special. So with that, what do you got? My clothes fit me. Yeah, my clothes fit me, man. I love shoes. Um, I'm an Adidas guy, so I like you know the Yeezys, the Pharrells. Um, I like clothes though. I I, uh, I I I got away from the ripped jeans a little bit. Um, I just thought too many people were wearing them. Yeah. But um, shirts, everything's fitted, man. Yeah. Nice nice dinner. Do you go hair in the wind, hat backwards, or are you going? Are we going like Latino style gel gel backwards? What do you got? When I was younger, I always had a hat on, but now, man. I either just let it ride, or I'll, I'll put it in a ponytail. I'm not, yeah, I'm not afraid. <laughs> Do you see the flow as a long-term thing? Because I know Canadian fans are gonna love it because it's a big hockey thing. The guys with the flow coming out, skating around. I think if you hold on to it, you're gonna win some fans. Or is this just something you're doing now? No, I, I don't, I don't see a reason to cut it anytime soon. Yeah, I like it. The hair is here for good. The hair yeah. is here to stay. All right, the man himself, Bo Bichette. Sure. 
All right, dude. Well, uh, we appreciate you yeah, no uh, for coming. If, I don't know if you have any more questions. I, I enjoy these guys. I can literally sit here and ask all day, so I don't know if you I have think any. it's about uh, Bose time. We, we've been sitting in the sun for a while now, but uh, I think we'll let you go. All right, man. Thank you. All right, dude. Appreciate Cheers. it, man. Thank you. So this is the Blue Jays, a Blue Jays podcast, as you know, but we like to spin it around the league, look at some other stuff that's going on. And one story that stood out to me, and I think might be of interest to you as a former player, is kind of the suspicious activity with certain players where uh, Mark Reynolds, as an example, says he got four minor league offers from four different teams on the same day after hearing nothing all offseason. And then we had Brad Brock, the reliever, good reliever too with the Orioles, All-star. nasty stuff, saying that he had different teams say, well, we put you through an algorithm and this was the amount we came up with and the amounts were basically the exact same. So as a player, how would you react to something like that happening to you and what does that make you think about what might be going on here? Well, there's, there's two parts for me on that, on that topic. Well, I think, I think that there's some kind of quote-unquote collusion, whatever you want to call it, behind the scenes. I think that there's no way that no, anybody can deny. There's, what I don't like is maybe it's not even behind the scenes. What I don't like is there's too much talking about what teams are wanting to do. So when one, one team talks, the other team hears. And so if guys are like, oh, we're not on that guy, well, that's one less team that, that people know that are involved and other teams know that are involved. So I think that there might be a rule that teams may not be able to comment on certain things because I think as soon as somebody says we're out of the sweet state, sweepstakes, that takes away leveraging for that player. I do think that there's some way, like how do you have four people call on the same day for the same player, right? I think that there's obviously, is it a coincidence? Who knows? Now on the flip side of that, I have spoke with some front office guys and not to be Tim Kirchin-esque to try to say like I have talked with the with certain executives but the truth is but the truth is is honestly I I have had some conversations and they say that's one thing that's that's been hurting the free market is that people these teams are kind of using the same grades so we're prior that four teams may be super high on a guy as opposed to uh you know maybe one or two or four teams seeing a guy differently where one guy values it at this one guy values it this they are are using this this statistical or analytical base that does give them one number and that's why some teams are completely out because they don't have that person doesn't fit their whatever it may be and some teams that have very similar equations or however you want to say it they are offering the same amount of money because that's what it's being done what they're doing is it's the the premium on the actual player and the personality and this a lot of that stuff is being pushed away and it's just give me typing it in what do we need and this is what we have and that's they're shooting it out and so I do think I do agree that for Brad unfortunately that's just the situation that's going on yeah and I think you hit the nail on the head where these front offices are more and more the same than they've ever been yeah I mean the the decision-making methods and it's largely statistical it's largely like Brad said based on algorithms these, these guys all have their own different database with a different name, but the reality is they basically have the same information and they're basically manipulating it the same way. And as a result, you don't have, I think like back in the day, 10 years ago even, you'd have like some rogue GM would be like, I, I like this guy, like let's throw 9 million at him. And you don't have that anymore. You have a bunch of front offices with tons of analysts and they're making these group decisions and they're basing it, like you said, a lot of it on statistics as opposed to 
uh, the other side of the game. And there's an argument to be made for that. People don't want to pay for something that they don't know exactly how much it's worth. But the flip side of that is that a lot of good guys are, they don't have these bidding wars anymore because everyone is, okay, this is what you're worth. And they're almost dictating it to guys and their agents. And I feel bad for these guys because nothing's changed with the baseball players. Like they're going out, they're still the same dudes. They're still doing the same thing. It's just that they're being looked at totally differently than they were 10 years ago. And, and they, you know, it's hard for them to understand why am I suddenly worth less? Why is there's suddenly less interest between multiple teams and a guy like me because I still pitch the baseball the same way someone pitched the baseball 10 years ago. But that's that's what this that's what at the end of the day if you're a owner or GM or whoever if I can make somebody's value less because of a statistical whatever you want to say it's same as arbitration right, right. they find reasons yeah, to you, devalue guys. Exactly and so but it's smart though. I'm not going to if I was in that position you want to if I can get a guy at 10 or a guy at 15, I'm going to take the 10 if I can get him at 10 because that's five where I can go spend somewhere else. And all those numbers add up. And I think that's something, again, that it is, it's it, the time, this day and age, it's, it stinks because it, you know, there is no more, hey, let's give Mark DeRosa. Yeah, his numbers are, are not worth maybe $3 million, but let's give him the $3 million because we know he's going to make the young guy that much better in the future, right? There's not, there, the, the intangibles are out of the game as much. But I understand that on the business side, these guys have to make decisions. They're trying to, to, everyone's trying to. For example, Justin Smoke was a prime example. Justin Smoke is a guy who was able to have the year he had in Seattle, all these things. But analytically, the Blue Jays were able to capitalize on him because they went off of their numbers and what he would play like at a, at a hitter's park because he was in Seattle. Boom. Now they were able to get, it looks like a good investment now, right? And so that's, that's where those things happen. And that's why those systems are good. And fortunately, for the player side, it kind of backfires sometimes. And it's interesting because front offices are beefing up more and more analysts than ever before because the idea is let's pay a guy a hundred grand and then he can make a baseball player worth two million more on the field with these statistical adjustments or finding the right player. But a veteran player, not every time, but potentially, you know, Mark DeRosa showing a Brett Laurie some kind of adjustment in the box or even more of a mental side, calming him down, whatever it is, that has a player development effect as well and we talked about the lack of veterans in the Blue Jays clubhouse it is worth wondering is there a player development effect to not having those type of guys around and you'll never measure it you're never going to be hundred percent sure if it's there or not but it's a question worth asking well it's not a it's not a quantitative study you can't quantitatively do anything it's a qualitative study right and by that you have to go into the trenches which I think is why it's a huge part of the organization as a whole right why minor leagues and, and player development, those departments are so important because that's, that's where you're, now you're having to do that at those levels. And I think that you, here it goes again, you're saving money, right? If I do it through the minor league level and you're under salary and you're in my minor league system and I'm a coach in the minor league system and, I, and that's my part of my job and my gig as player development to grow these guys where I don't have to spend five million, three million, four million dollars for a one year kind of contract, right? So it all comes down to, you know, cost effectiveness and how we can do it. Well, a lot of teams are doing it now from the minor leagues and they're putting a lot more money in. You see it in the minor leagues now. Oh yeah. Food, nutrition, or food and nutrition, obviously. The mental health, the mental game. There's a lot more mental coaches. There's a and lot that's more That's all things. good money. That's money you should spend and you should probably spend it one time over again. Like that's great money to spend. And that's what I think they're doing is they're putting it into there as opposed to somewhere else. So this is going to be a disappointment to some of the fans of Dig Again with JP and Stevie. I'm going to explain this. I'm going to look right down the camera, explain this to you. 
JP Career Trivia is dead. I think you landed on exactly. Well, it's what happens. Actually, it's what happens when you only played five seasons in the big leagues. Yeah. There's enough. You can only have enough I, trivia. I spent so. a weird amount of time digging through JP's fan graphs and baseball reference pages, and we got to points where he just didn't have a chance anymore. And so I wanted to switch it up. We talk about with our guests wanting to get to know guys more as players, not as most players, more as people than players, so I thought that we'd do a silly end segment that gets us to know JP and me more as people as opposed to baseball. Everyone has played this game before. I've got some weird ones. This is a game of would you rather. So Let's my first would you rather, and I consider myself a would you ratherologist, seriously. So this one is a bit odd, and I know that you have some nutritional concerns. I want to put those aside. This is a food question. Okay. And only talk about taste. Okay. Would you rather eat the same quantity of dried rice or dried pasta? You cannot cook it. You're just crunching it down. Rice or pasta, what do you go with? I would say pasta. I would go with pasta. I think just because at the end of the day, if it's dry and it's a bigger piece, I can kind of chew it down a I'm little bit I'm talking about like a bag here. Like you're putting away a serious quantity. It's not like one piece of Yeah, but I think it's no. tougher to put down. It's like, it's like, do I want to chew something that's bigger that I can crunch down? Or do I want to put a ton of little like rice grains in my mouth that I'm going to be choking on? I go pasta. Pasta. I pasta, think if I was in Canada, pasta. In the States, pasta. Pasta. I think I would go... Rice, it would be time consuming. Like you said, you couldn't put a huge fist of them in because it just wouldn't go down. But if you get the right quantity, little small things at a time, I think they can go down relatively easily. Pasta, I can imagine cutting up the inside of your throat. That's my concern with pasta. Give me rice and stay tuned for the next. All would the, you rather? All the future episodes of JP here and TV will have would you rathers of that nature and probably more. I hope it gets super gross. It's going to get weird, probably. Yeah, I, I want like it to get, get weird. weird. That's been our off-season review special episode of Digging In with JP and Sebia. We hope you'll tune in next time. We'll still be here, sunny Florida, one more time. You'll be here. I'm going to the beach. Peace.